Well, good morning. We are continuing our series called I Am David. The reason we're calling it I Am David is that we're going to dive deep into true stories about King David of the Bible. And we're, we're going to find that, that, yes, these stories are about King David, but we're going to relate to them. We're going to see also how, how we've been there and how even though the David experienced these things, that, that we can say, oh yeah, me too, I've, I've been there too. And you see, David, when we talk about him, he is a complex person. I think he's like the rest of us in this regard, that we're not one-dimensional, and neither is David. See, David is complex. He's made up of many different pieces. It's kind of like a mosaic, stained glass, that's a bunch of broken pieces together. And yet, whenever you bring them together, it can shine light and form something really beautiful. And so that's why here, if you're wondering what this is, this is our platform for building David. So we have a five-week series, and we have five pieces that we're going to build David. The first week, we talked about how David was a shepherd. And so we talked about how, um, so we, we pictured with his right hand, a shepherd's staff. And so part of him is being a shepherd, someone who cares and protects his flock. Along the same lines of protecting his flock, he protected Israel against uh, Goliath. And so part of him is a warrior with a slingshot. And so on one hand, he's got a slingshot uh, where, where part of him will always be that protector. And then this week, however, we're talking about David the fugitive. So our, our piece tonight or this morning for the bottom piece is his feet because he's on the run. He is running. So we're going to put this right here. And with some mighty strong Velcro, pops right in. Very good. So, we have three out of the five pieces that make up David. And you're going to want to come back next week. Because I know you guys are just in anticipation, wondering what are going to be the final pieces for, for King David here. Now, whenever we talk about David the fugitive, I mean, it, it kind of sounds funny, doesn't it? We're not exactly uh, used to talking about David on the run in church. You see, in Sunday school growing up, we love the story of David and Goliath, don't we? Oh, it's, it's got all the goods in it. We love that story. We, we love the story about David uh, with his shepherd staff and tending the flock. We love these stories about him sitting around and playing on his harp. These are the stories that are very familiar to us about King David. And yet, uh, one of the most important pieces, I think, that really define and really make up who David is, is David on the run, David the fugitive. And uh, you see, this isn't something that, that is, is taken lightly, because uh, in the Bible, you know how long of how many verses or how many chapters take up David and Goliath? One chapter. You know how many chapters talk about David being a shepherd? Less than a chapter. And yet, whenever we talk about David the fugitive, it's the entire rest of the book of 1 Samuel is about David on the run. Clearly, God wants us to hear this story. Clearly, this story is important. And so uh, the thing is that when we did our readings this morning, uh, even though it was kind of long, it was actually very small snippets of the whole story. And you see... Uh, if we were to read the entire story about David the fugitive, David on the run, we'll be here all morning. So you're welcome that we only read a snippet of it. You're welcome. 
You see, but this is an important time. This is when, when uh, David is hiding in caves and he's, he's crying out to God. This is when, when David, um, he writes some of the most honest prayers in some of the most honest and difficult psalms that we read about David crying out to God, just these raw, honest prayers. And that's during this time. See, I think this really shapes who he is because before he can become king, he has to overcome these huge, difficult trials, these huge, difficult tribulations. He's got no one else to rely on but God. And this leads us to our first point here. So David was pursued. David was pursued. See, in our story, we have David. He's sitting in Saul's courts, and, and Saul comes up to him. And Saul kind of has this thing planned out here, where he's going to come up to David with a spear. And he pulls back the spear, and he throws it, and he misses. Bad aim. Come on, Saul. I'm just saying, like, I don't have the skill of throwing a spear because it's 2014, okay? But you know what? If you were alive back then, and if you were king, and you can't even throw a spear at someone, come on, Saul, come on. But this is what happens. He wants to kill David. And, and time out, time out for one second. Why does he want to kill David? Why is he throwing the spear at him? We see people were singing the song. Saul has slayed thousands, but David slays tens of thousands. Uh-oh. Jealousy. David's the new hero in town, isn't he? After all, he took down Goliath. And, and Saul, remember by this point, Saul has rejected God, and so, so God is rejecting him as king. And so Saul is actually at a very spiritually dark place right now. It, it even says that, that a spirit was tormenting him. Now, what exactly that means, I'm not exactly sure. Is it something like demonic possession? Very well may be. Or at least he has brought evil into his life so much that he's being tormented, he's being tortured by it. So Saul is in an incredibly dark place right now. So honestly, it's no wonder that when Saul, uh, he takes this spiritual nosedive and he walks away from God, that he would allow this jealousy to consume him. It's, it's no wonder that he would want to commit murder. He shoots, he misses, and now David finds out exactly how fast he can run. Doesn't even have time to put on his best athletic grip tennis shoes. He just runs. He gets out of town. Takes good advice from his wife and his best friend, Jonathan, who's Jonathan, by the way, is ironically Saul's son, to just flee. So he does. So he is, he's on the run. He takes a small crew with him, and now the king and his army is chasing him. Just not pleasant for David. And honestly, at that point, I'm sure it was really hard to hide from the king and his army because everywhere he went, People would say, oh yeah, David, he was here. He was, he was right here. People were, were tattletelling on him. Tough situation. Now, what's interesting is that this is not the only time that David has been on the run. See, later David becomes king and has this son named Absalom, and Absalom decides that he wants to be king. He wants to overthrow his father's throne, and so he creates this, uh, this insurgence, this, uh, this group of rebels uh, that he bands together, and he's going to try to overthrow the king. And so once again, David, very familiar with running, uh, is once again on the run. Once again, David 
is a fugitive, and he's having a hideout, but this time from his son Absalom. Now, this, this idea of being chased or being pursued, I think we can all relate to it. Now, not necessarily from royalty, um, unless, has, has anyone here ever upset royalty? Just curious? No? Okay. Yeah, uh, the Queen of England does not know who I am, okay? So that's, and that's probably a good thing. I have not upset uh, any official royalty, um, but this idea that others can become angry at you or that other people try to take you down. Maybe they're jealous like Saul or maybe they just don't like something about you. And so they're going to come after you. They're going to try to ruin your reputation, spread rumors about you. Maybe they're using social media as a platform for this to ruin you. Maybe they try to push you out of your job, or maybe they try to push you out of a circle of friends. Or maybe you've been sued or even threatened with a lawsuit. We can feel like David did 3,000 years ago. Now, honestly, I'm not exactly a vindictive person, so, so I can't really wrap my mind around uh, what people's motivation is for doing something like this, just to tear someone else apart. Because for me, even if you disagree with someone, you don't have to destroy them. And Saul even said at one point, this is just really interesting for me, he says, uh, when he thought that he would capture David, uh, he said, surely God has delivered David into my hands. Surely God has delivered what does God have to do with Saul's unholy pursuit? Honestly, why would he attach God to his ill motive? He really thought that God was on his side. And I think that people do this today. They try to attach some theology or some, some Bible verse that's taken out of context. They try to use it like duct tape just to stick onto whatever their unholy pursuit is. And they'll try to justify it. They'll try to make themselves feel good and say, well, it's God's will that, that this must be done. Now, for me, the uh, most shocking part of this story isn't that David is being chased, because I, I think that we, we can get that. But rather, uh, get this. He has this opportunity to kill Saul, his enemy, but he doesn't. And that's our second point here. That David spared Saul's life. See, David was hiding in a cave because honestly, if you're going to be playing hide-and-seek in the wilderness, a cave is actually a pretty decent spot. So David's hiding out in a cave, David and his men are, and it must have been dark because Saul came in and did not see David or his men. And this is in the Bible, you guys. It says that Saul went to the bathroom. I wish I was making this up, okay? But you just can't make this stuff up. Saul is is going to the bathroom in this cave, and he's vulnerable. And David and his crew, they just cannot believe it, can they? They just cannot believe that, that their enemy, Saul, is right in front of them, and he's vulnerable. So if there's ever a time to take down his enemy, here it is. And so, so David goes up to Saul, and this is just really interesting. He takes a sword, and, and he actually strikes Saul. And, uh, but doesn't hurt him, instead just simply takes a piece of his cloak, takes a piece of his clothing. And, and here's the weird thing. He actually chooses not to kill Saul at this point. In fact, he even feels really bad about tearing off a piece of his cloak. Now, why would he feel bad about this? Because even though that Saul rejected God, 
and God now has rejected Saul as king, Saul was still anointed by God. And David took this very seriously. He did not want to kill the Lord's anointed. So David goes back to his men. He tries to explain this. They're not exactly buying it. They're not exactly understanding. But David keeps his conviction. He keeps his word and does not kill Saul, who's God's anointed. Now, soon after, David uh, has the ability to confront Saul. They're face to face. And, And David explains what just happened in the cave and Saul cannot believe it. He, he just cannot believe it. So David has the piece of his cloak as proof and says, see, look, look at what happened here. And, and he kind of shows this as, as to say, like, Saul, why are you pursuing me? I'm not your enemy. If I wanted to harm you, I would have done it there. So stop chasing me. And Saul actually, at this point, decides that he's going to make a promise. He says, okay, fine, I understand you're not against me, so I'm not going to want to kill you. I'm not going to pursue you. And he does not keep his word. Later, he still tries to pursue David. And we saw this earlier when he made a promise that he's not going to pursue David, and he broke that as well. Saul is not good with his word here. And when David spared Saul's life, this kind of thing did not happen once, but rather it happened twice. You see, David continually shows mercy in this situation. Now for me, I'm just fascinated by, by this kind of encounter. I mean, David could have killed Saul, but chose not to. And you see, the thing is, I think that if many of us in this room, if we were in that same position, we would have reacted differently. The thought of taking down your enemies, oh, it's tempting. We, we love that kind of stuff. The, the thought of revenge is so sweet, isn't it? To get even. But David chooses compassion and respect for the Lord's anointed. What's interesting is that David really didn't even need to kill Saul. See, Saul was, was so evil and, and was so self-destructive that he ended up destroying himself. See, Saul was in battle, and he fell on his sword, meaning he committed suicide. He took his own life. See, David didn't even need to go out of his way to kill Saul. Saul, being so evil took his own life. But David chose compassion. Now, Jesus took this one step further on the Sermon on the Mount. Many have described Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount as some of the core teachings about what it means to be a Christian. And he said this, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I mean, isn't that what our culture says today? Isn't this what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for them. How would we live our lives differently if we took this seriously? Anytime that we're mad at someone rather than trying to get even, what if we stopped and prayed for them? Rather than posting hateful and dehumanizing comments on social media about people we don't like, whoever that is, be it our bosses, our our friends, celebrities, the president. What if we obeyed Jesus' commands here and loved them instead and prayed for them? How would that change our hearts? How would that change society? Now you may say, yeah, but Mike, you don't understand. 
You don't understand because I've, I've been pursued like no other. And you know what? You're right. I don't understand everything about your situation. And honestly, I understand there's a lot of evil, a lot, a lot of sin out in the world today. And many of us here, we've experienced that firsthand. So, no, I, I can't understand every single detail of what you've been through. But I can tell you about one who does. Because if anyone's been pursued, it's Jesus. And this is our third and final point here. It's that Jesus was pursued. See, there is a better and truer King David on the run, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, in 2014, we come into this place, and we, we worship Jesus today. We, we talk about Jesus, we love him, we worship him. But understand that Jesus is not always loved. He's not always liked. You see, back when Jesus was alive and walking on this earth, not everyone liked Jesus. In fact, there were some people who just flat out hated Jesus. They despised him. Ironically, this group was the religious, the elite, the Pharisees. See, they thought that Jesus was a liar because they, they, they dismissed his claims about being the Son of God, and they felt like he needed to be executed. So they tried with all their power to kill him. They tried using an angry mob at certain points, but that often did not work. So what they did was they, they created this plot, this, this intricate plot to be able to capture Jesus. They were pursuing him. In fact, they were so committed to this that they even vowed to stop eating until Jesus was captured. Can you imagine just the passion, the hate that they had for him? They were finally able to get the Romans to capture him and execute him. But along the way, he was rejected. He was mocked. He was spat on. He was beaten. He was whipped. And finally, for several hours, he hung on the cross. His enemies at the foot of the cross were dancing and rejoicing because they had finally pursued and killed him. And Jesus allowed this. But you see, in the midst of being pursued and crucified, Jesus was actually defeating his enemies without them even knowing. He was able to conquer Satan and evil on the cross. And then he was resurrected and was given this new life. You see, he was able to take our sins, our past mistakes, our regrets, and able to just make that history, make that in the past, so that we can be given this new, this eternal life and we can be forgiven of our sins. So anytime that we've, we've sinned, or we've pursued people ourselves, or we've sinned against those who have pursued us, those sins can be erased, and we can be made clean. So if, if you're in a tough situation, and you feel like that you're being pursued, remember that there's one greater who's been there too. And he loves you and wants to extend this eternal life, this grace that he gave on the cross. And all God's people said, amen.